Welcome to The Real Housewives of Riverdale, the podcast where grown-ass adults take sexy teen murder mysteries just as seriously as you do. I'm your host, Ree, and I'm joining you today for the last week of our brief Riverdale hiatus. So before we get to next week's reportedly super sexy episode, I'm so excited about, um, today we're going to discuss Season 1, Episode 8, The Outsiders. And I feel like I shouldn't have to tell you the backstory on The Outsiders, because if you're aware of the world around you enough to know about podcasts and stuff, surely you haven't lived under a rock so long as to avoid either the book or the hottie-filled 80s movie of The Outsiders. In case you have been pulling a Patrick Star and living under a rock up until this very moment, the plot of The Outsiders is told from the point of view of a young teen boy named Pony Boy, love it, um, played by C. Thomas Howell in the movie, in the 1950s. His parents are dead, so he's raised by his two older brothers, Daryl, who's played by Patrick Swayze, and Soda Pop, um, who's played by Rob Lowe. And they're so cute in this movie because it's, it's all very earlier in their career. Um, but their gang of friends, including Tom Cruise, Ralph, Ralph Macchio, Matt Dillon, Emilio Estevez, <laughs> just, so just like every young male actor in the 1980s, um, their group of friends are considered greasers because, again, it's the 1950s and they're poor and live on the wrong side of the tracks and they wear leather jackets and they grease their hair, so that's why. Um, but Pony Boy, who is the um, the protagonist of the story, he makes friends with a girl named Cherry, which is, you know, like what everybody called me in high school and middle school because my name's stupid, but she's played by Diane Lane, and she's from the rich side of town, and her friends are called the Soches. So the male Soches, who are played by Leif Garrett and some, like, less famous actors, <laughs> um, but they're not cool with Cherry hanging out with the greasers, so they have a good old-fashioned rumble until one of the Soches ends up dead. And Ponyboy and Ralph Macchio have to go on the run and, like, dye their hair with peroxide and stuff. It's still one of my favorite books from my youth, and, like, not just because 90% of the people in my life thought my name was Cherry when they first saw my name, but because it's really filled with, like, all of the drama and angst and confusion of being a teenager and making friends in the world. It's just, it's really good. And Essie Hinton, who wrote the book, was, like, 15 or 16 when she wrote it. It's amazing. Um, anywho, all that being said, the plot of The Outsiders has, like, like, absolutely nothing to do with this episode of Riverdale, as per usual. Um, I mean, I guess there's like the Southside Serpents versus um, Archie when he goes to the bar. I don't know. I don't really know what they're trying to um, get out of that episode for us here. But anyway. The episode starts with a jug dub, of course, where he regales the Cooper family as being the Stepfords of Riverdale. Okay, so one thing. Stepford was a town, not a family. You can refer to Alice as a Stepford wife, but the reference you're trying to make doesn't work, Juggy. It just doesn't. He's saying that they were the ideal American family, you know, white, blonde, Protestant, well-off. Of course, that's what America loves. Until Jason Blossom happened. Poor Jason. I think. I don't really know if he deserves that shit or not, because we've never heard him utter a single fucking word, but I digress. 
at the Pembroke, Polly is surrounded by her support system of Hermione, Betty, and Veronica, and she's explaining to Sheriff Keller about the days leading up to Jason's disappearance on the 4th of July. So according to Polly, what started out as a casual conversation turned into an epic teen romance. <laughs> and even though she was a cheerleader and he was a football player, their families tried to pull them apart for reasons they, and us, never understood. They did break up for a hot minute until Polly learned that she was preggers, so they got engaged with Anna Rose's engagement ring, which honestly, they should have known was more of an omen than a blessing. Like, for real. Have you met this lady? But she and Jason made plans to run away to a farm upstate. <laughs> Every time they say farm upstate, I just laugh. I hope it's the same farm upstate where my dog Princess went to while I was visiting my grandparents in the summer of 1990. I miss that dog. Would you believe she ate an entire tube of cortisone cream right before my parents sent her to that farm upstate where she can run and chase bunnies and that'll maybe help turn Polly into a more interesting character? Hmm, sad. <laughs> anyway. My least favorite character, Polly, last saw Jason at Pops where he told her he was going to fake his death and meet up on the other side of Sweetwater River, meet up with her. First, in order to make a small nest egg to start their independent life together, he would make a one-time drug delivery for the Southside Serpents. But the drugs never made it because Jason was murdered and Polly was sent to the Sisters of Quiet Mercy. So, same, same. Um, at the Andrews house, Archie and Jughead are playing video games like actual teenagers, and that's kind of nice to see. Fred enters their room to tell them it's time to call it a night and to tell them that it stinks. Can you even imagine how bad that room reeks? Like, teenage boys smell bad anyway. But double that, because there's two of them, add in the inevitable food and drink containers, and like crusty socks, and Jughead's beanie that never gets washed. <laughs> Did y'all know that the beanie, like the beanie that he, he really wears is the only one for the entire costume department? Like, there are no spares in case that one gets lost or stolen or damaged. Like, Cole has commented several times in interviews that it smells really, really bad. So that makes me feel bad for poor Lily Reinhardt who has to make out with him while he's wearing that damn thing. Maybe that's why he like pulls, his off, pulls it off right before he kisses her all the time, but I don't know. Anyway, so Archie opens the window to air out the funk and Fred asks Jughead if he's settling in and Jughead says, yeah, it's like they're roommates in a college dorm, and, you know, except for like the cinder block walls and outrageous room and board fees that come with dorm life, but whatever. He doesn't know that slice of reality yet. Maybe, maybe he will should he get to go to college. Uh, Fred is about to break ground on the Sodale project tomorrow, which is a sore subject for Jughead considering that he was living there for God's sake, but Jughead just wants something beautiful in its place. And Fred is like, okay, well, I'm not sure about, be about beautiful, but it'll be big. <laughs> Taken out of context, Fred would totally be talking about his dick right there. like. I just really want Archie to be like, that's what she said. But you know, that's just, that's the Archie that lives in my brain and not the Archie that lives on the show because the one that's in my brain is a lot funnier. Uh, the next morning at the school lounge, the whole gang, including Cheryl, discussed Polly's predicament where the Coopers want Polly, but not the baby. And the Blossoms want the baby, but not Polly. And Betty says, this is an impossible situation. But Veronica corrects her saying, this is an annoying situation. An impossible situation is being invited to both Elton John and Vanity Flair's Oscar parties on the same night. 
much to mine and Kevin's delight. <laughs> and actually, uh, Carrie Mendez got to go to um, Vanity Flair or Vanity Fair's Oscar party this past weekend, and she was beautiful. Um, check out her pictures if you can see them, if you uh, follow her on Instagram. Oh, speaking of Kevin, so if you are on Instagram, follow at the Kevinth Wonder. It's an Instagram account set up by the CW that's from Kevin's perspective. It's not Casey Cott's Instagram account. It's supposed to seem like it's like from Kevin the character. Um, well, anyway, I commented on a picture that quote unquote Kevin posted and he replied to my comment. It, like, I like got all kinds of giggly about it. <laughs> Hi, I'm a grown adult and I definitely muppet flailed, but. Um, it was a picture, or not even a picture, it was a boomerang video of him rolling some, like, multi-sided die a la, like, you know, Dun Dungeons and Dragons, but for that, you know, his own made-up RPG game that, um, we see in Season 2, so if you're not there yet, don't worry, you'll see it. Uh, it's not a spoiler, it's nothing important, but the caption reads, quote, it's a role-playing kind of night. End quote. So I stole one of Kevin's lines from um, a more recent episode in season two and asked, is there a dress code for such occasion? And the next morning he replied with jammies, duh. And I know it's an intern at the CW who runs the account and not Casey Cott. And of course not like actual fictional Kevin, but it just, I just fangirled the hell out of it. <laughs> Like, out of the 23,000 comments about, oh, you're so amazing, yas, Kevin, you're a queen, my comment was replied to. Oh, it was super exciting for me. Anyway, back to the episode. Uh, Veronica suggests hosting a baby shower at the Pembroke because what Polly needs right now, besides the personality, is to feel loved and supported by those closest to her, and ideally, Betty says, by her own parents. Veronica is insistent, though, that they have a baby shower so they can get both sets of parents in the same room in a public setting where they can't fight and the healing will begin. Uh, Jughead asks if he has to make an appearance, and Veronica is like, duh, you're Betty's boyfriend, of course you have to come. And that makes everyone's room, everyone in the room's butthole pucker. But <laughs> everyone's like, Rrr. but Veronica tells them to relax. It's just, it's just a word that starts with the letter B. Their conversation is thankfully cut off when Alice busts into the student lounge and orders Betty and Veronica out of the room. What? That is so bizarre to see your parents at your school. Like, and then, and then she just like runs into the student lounge. Meh. Um, at Andrew's construction, Vic, who will make a return in season two, people are all, you, there'll be an episode where everybody's like, who's that guy? Um, hello, he was here in this episode. Don't, don't say you're obsessed with this show if you don't know who Vic is. He's Fred's foreman. And he tells him, and he tells Fred and Hermione that he and his crew are quitting because they got a better offer from Cliff Blossom. Fred does his, does his patented this fucking town face off into the distance. I love Luke Perry. Even if he does the same thing every time. Uh, back at school in an abandoned classroom because, again, no actual classes are taught at this school. It's just seven hours of solid socializing and detective work. Anyway, Alice throws a shit fit about the girls hiding Polly at Veronica's in Polly's little interview with Sheriff Keller. 
Betty argues that the Pembroke is better than an insane asylum, but before Alice can totally flip her lid, Veronica admits that it was her idea for Polly to stay with her and her mom. Betty decides this is a fine time to tell Alice about the baby shower, and Alice scoffs, saying that it, that it is hardly inappropriate. But Betty says, it's an amazing idea. And Alice could be supportive, could be a supportive, normal grandmother, or get the fuck out, biatch. She doesn't really say that, but I wish she would have. So the next scene, Fred's making calls uh, to try to hire another crew, but you know, this fucking town and all. Archie comes home from a date with Val and Fred spills his guts about the crew quitting and, you know, like the whole financial shit show that is his company that bankrolls their entire life. So naturally, Archie, because he's 15 fucking years old, loses his shit. I mean, look, I'm only three, three years into this parenting gig, but I feel like maybe telling your child who is still an actual child that they're on the brink of losing everything might be a little too much for them to handle. I'm all for transparency and whatever, but perhaps think about age appropriateness before you just let it all out there. Maybe you can get stuff figured out before you have to tell your kid that life as he know it is, is about to come to an end. At the lodge's breakfast table, Betty and Veronica break the baby shower news to Polly, and she's hesitant because everyone in her life is fucking benoodles. <laughs> she's not wrong. She says that if they're going to go through with it, she really wants Alice and Hal to come, but she's not so sure that they will come in peace. Betty makes a promise that she can't keep, that her parents won't fight. Polly also wants the Blossoms to come, both Cheryl and Penelope because Polly is not only boring, she is naive AF. Fair and kind, but super naive if she thinks the Coopers and the Blossoms can be in the same room without a cat fight. But anyway, she thinks if Penelope spends an hour watching her open gifts and eat tiny finger foods, she'll realize that Polly isn't, isn't an unfit mother. I guess, whatever. While they're um, talking about this, Hermione pulls Veronica aside and basically says everything that I just did. If Alice and Penelope are in the same room in their pre-war apartment, there will be a bloodbath. Also, Hermione has been avoiding the Blossoms because they don't know that Hiram is the anonymous buyer of the Sodale land. And if they find out, it'll be an open war because apparently the Blossoms have made a play for the land and are hoping to stop construction. Hermione has to help Fred keep everything on track while keeping him in the dark about Hiram being the buyer. Besides, Hermione thinks Alice won't even show up and Veronica is like, well, she would if you have a little mother-to-mother -mother chat with her. And Hermione's like, are you fucking kidding me? Oh, quit dragging me into your shit. Uh, Fred pulls an angry landlord move and blocks Cliff Blossom in his driveway. Very nice. And they have a little pissing contest about uh, Cliff stealing the construction crew. Cliff gloats about how he's bleeding Fred dry, and Fred tells him that there's no amount of money that will stop him from coming after Cliff with everything he has. Good for Fred for standing up for himself, I guess. Um, later, Fred tells Hermione about all of this, but they are still without money or a crew when Archie fills his earlier promise of figuring something out and shows up with a group of young men, including Jughead, Kevin, and Moose, to play construction. It's absolutely adorable. And Fred is hesitant, but ultimately agrees once Hermione reminds him that desperate times call for desperate measures. Hermione meets up with Alice at Pops, and Alice thinks Hermione is only there for bragging rights, but Hermione only wants to help. Alice voices her fear of her daughter having to raise a child so young, and Hermione just says, 
people do it every day. We both did. But as a mom, I get Alice's concerns. I think I would be more in the camp of helping my daughter if she didn't want to put her child up for adoption. I mean, if she did, I would support her there too. But if she wanted to keep her baby, I would do my best to help her out. But raising kids is no simple task. It is not for the faint of heart. You gotta bring your A game at all times. I can't even fathom trying to deal with colic and diaper rash and incompetent caregivers. And I mean, just the list goes on and on and on and on at such a young age as Polly. Like that's, that's crazy. Anyway, Hermione urges Alice to come to the baby shower and support Polly. Otherwise she'll regret it for the rest of her life. And that is correct. Back at the construction site, our sweet boys are pushing wheelbarrows and lifting heavy things and carrying shovels and they're all just so darn cute. I hope they took a picture to commemorate this day. So sweet. After they finish up for the day, they go into the trailer to turn in their hard hats and grab a Coke, but Moose forgot his phone outside, so he goes to get it. He gets ambushed by a couple of suspicious, suspicious looking bros that were trying to destroy Fred's equipment. The rest of the guys hear a noise and go out to find Moose beaten up and the bad guys taking off in a truck. Then they ask Moose if he knows who they were, but he has no idea. But this was a warning for them to stop construction or they'll be back. Ooh, scary. <laughs> the sheriff comes to investigate the scene. Uh, Fred says he thinks Cliff is behind the attack because the whole, you know, the whole driveway scene earlier, but Keller doesn't think so. He thinks Cliff isn't so bad that he'd hire someone to beat up teenagers. And I don't think either Cliff or Penelope exactly have a moral compass, so I'm not so sure I agree with good old Sheriff here. Archie thinks it could be the Southside Serpents, but Jughead says they never beat him up when he lived here at the drive-in, but bro, of course they didn't. Your dad's a serpent. They wouldn't actively attack one of their own. But anyway, and whoever the shady guys were, they beat up Moose, not Jughead. So, like, your logic just doesn't check out, my man. But, of course, he can't tell anybody that his dad's a serpent, so... I guess that logic probably works more on them than it does with me. Um, Keller asks Moose if the bad guys had any tattoos or snake insignias on their jackets, and Moose doesn't remember anything like that. It all just happened so fast. Keller says that he'll talk to the Blossoms, even though it won't get him anywhere. Sir, that is some mighty shitty police work if I do say so myself. Damn. Archie agrees with me and says that the sheriff is not doing enough, but if Cliff Blossom had asked for help, Keller would put forth more effort. So, take that, grown-ass man from a 15-year-old. Uh, the next morning at the Pembroke, Polly approaches Betty and Veronica, asking if Alice is coming to the baby shower. Betty just says that Alice has been invited, but doesn't say for sure if she's coming because the chances of that happening are slim to none, given Alice's past behavior. Polly is bummed that her mom, who would definitely start shit if she, you know, came, if she was there, she would definitely, like, cause a giant shit show, but she's bummed that she won't be there. But then she decides to channel that disappointment into some very rash decisions and asks Betty to be the baby's godmother. She says that if, God forbid, something were to happen to her, Betty, a sophomore in high school, is the only person she'd ever trust to raise her child. <laughs> Did Polly have any friends before she got knocked up? I mean, it's great that she asked, like, her sister and everything, but I'm genuinely curious. Were Betty and Jason the only people she knew? Character sucks. Anyway, 
Archie and Val have this scene where they're basically just like the yin and yang of chill. Archie is doing his customary freaking the fuck out about all the B-plots while Val has enough chill to cool like all of Ecuador. <laughs> this whole scene is just for her to say, bro, calm the fuck down. You're a child. Your father is an adult. Let him figure it out. But Archie doesn't know how to do all that. And all of his text messages to Jughead have gone unanswered. So he freaks out even more and he goes to Pops where he finds Jughead eating with Betty and Veronica. Archie's all, this was definitely the serpent. So Moose and I, actual children, are going to the bar, to a bar to confront grown ass biker dudes. Wanna come, Juggy? Solid plan, bud. Solid plan. Betty just tells Archie to be careful because of the serpents are known drug dealers. And Jughead is like, hold up, bitch. How would you even know anything about that? Miss Northside, when did you become the expert on a biker gang from across town? Huh? Huh? And she's like, dude, Polly literally told Sheriff Keller at the top of this episode that Jason was delivering drugs for the serpents. And Jughead is like, oh, well, fuck. But he still doesn't want Archie to go to the White Worm, which sounds like the name of a white supremacist male strip club. Just saying. Terrible name. Really should have workshopped that one. Anyway, Jughead is like, no, I'm not going into a buyer bar to confront people that you think have already beaten the shit out of a guy so big and tough his nickname is Moose. Peace out, homie. Have fun. So the next scene, Archie, Moose, Kevin, and Joaquin go to the White Worm. Joaquin can obviously get them in because he's a serpent, but Kevin is obviously not comfortable being there. Like, just besides from being, like, a goody two-shoes, he's also the sheriff's son. Like, if anybody's going to get their ass kicked, it's probably him. Um, you might want to, th- but, you know, Kevin, you might want to think about those things before violently making out with a guy in a chain-link fence. Sometimes make-out boys will, will want to hang out at really terrible bars. I mean, that's certainly a lesson I wish I would have learned in college, but, you know. Anyway... The children all walk into the bar and Moose thinks he sees one of the guys who beat him up. A very tough looking bro who goes by the name Mustang. Because of course his name is Mustang. Instead of calling the cops like they had planned, Archie decides to confront this guy like a real asshole while they're surrounded by the guy's fellow gang members. You know, like the internet loves giving Archie shit for being dumb and I usually like to defend him, but... I mean, ultimately, he's just a Gryffindor who believes in justice above all. But this was really fucking stupid. Like, I can't defend you on this. You are on your own here, Archie boy. He's all like, hey, you like to beat up teenagers, motherfucker? And Mustang, who obviously isn't one of the guys who beat up Moose, is like, um, excuse me? I can grant that fucking death wish for you if you'd like, Opie. Archie isn't the first bulldog to come to the White Worm trying to stir up trouble, which I guess is a reference to Jason, maybe? I don't know. Anyway, Mustang shoves Archie. Archie shoves, shoves Mustang back, but he's thrown into a pool table until FP, who apparently is not just a Southside Serpent, but their reigning king, comes down from the top of the stairs and breaks up the fight before it can escalate any further. Thank God. Archie is surprised to see FP because he didn't know that he was a serpent, let alone King Daddy Serpent. Anyway, uh, (laughs) FP kicks Kevin and Moose out of the bar but makes Archie stay. 
Archie, again, pulls a dumb and tells FP to his face that they were there to figure out who beat the shit out of Moose and ruined Fred's equipment. Now that he knows FP's a serpent and was so butthurt about Fred firing him, you must be in the center of it, Mr. Jones. The fact that FP didn't backhand the shit out of Archie for that, well, I'll just, I'll never know. God, good job, FP. Way to keep your patience. I want to say that you're a better man than me, but you know, I'm not a man and whatnot. FP, of course, denies all of Archie's suspicions and tells Archie that life is too short. Just then, Fred pulls up and tells Archie to get in the truck. Back at the Pembroke, Polly's baby shower is fully underway. At this point, Polly is four months pregnant tops. It's super early for a baby shower. They haven't even learned the sex of the baby yet. So now she's just gonna have a bunch of baby shit to cart around with her while she's a transient. I could barely get all the shit from each of my baby showers in one vehicle to take back to my house. And I don't even know that many people or have any family in my area. Like, it's insane. But Val and Mel of Pussycat fame show up together and Polly hugs them. So maybe she was friends with the Pussycats before she was sent away to teen pregnant, ten, you know, penitentiary. Teen pregnant teen penitentiary. That's what my notes say. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> then much to everyone's surprise, Alice shows up. She is noticeably uncomfortable, but she walks over to Betty and Polly and tells Polly how happy she is that her and the baby are safe. They hug and it's all nice and sweet until the Blossom ladies show up, including Nana Blossom. They trot in a very expensive pram. It's not even a stroller. It's a freaking pram, like it's Victorian England. <laughs> in return for, you know, the baby buggy that Peter Pan rolled away from his mother in in the movie Hook, Cheryl wants to be the godmother, unaware that Polly has already asked Betty, and as if she would have the girl whose trademark is being evil and raising chaos to be her child's godmother. Oh my god. Penelope walks over to Polly and apologizes for being a bitch and only caring about the baby and not Polly. She hopes Polly can can forgive her for being creepy and weird. Back at the White Worm parking lot, Fred and FP are talking. And Fred is under the impression that FP left the Serpents a long time ago, so he's surprised to see him at their headquarters. So that tells us that FP was a Serpent at one point in time and allegedly quit, but now he's back and leader of the pack. Vroom, vroom. Anyway, Fred thinks the serpents might be involved with the attack on Moose, but FP assures him that they had zero involvement. FP would never let that happen given all that Fred has done for Jughead. He's really sorry for the pitfalls Fred has occurred, incurred, and he'll ask about the attack, but he's sure Fred will bounce right back. He always does. And he, there is so much vitriol in that delivery. Don't you just always bounce back, you privileged shit. Um, but he also tells Fred that Archie's quite a kid and one he's going to have to keep his eye on. And as Fred turns back to look at Archie, he sees that his truck is empty and Archie has bailed. Back at the baby shower, Nana Rose is hanging a crystal necklace over Polly's hand to determine the sex of the baby. <laughs> Betty asks Cheryl if this is for real, and Cheryl says, well, Nana Rose has both dementia and gypsy blood, so, you know, could go either way. 
<laughs> I thought that was fun. I don't really like this episode too much. It's not one of my favorites. I mean, it's fine. It's a, you know, perfect middle of the season episode, but there's a few moments that are cute in it. it it's done. I don't know. It doesn't do much for me in like the ways, the reasons why I like Riverdale. I feel like it's one of their weaker episodes, but there are a few moments like this that are super cute. <laughs> According to the scariest grandma ever, Polly's having twins, a boy and a girl. So Alice says, this is occultism at its most ludicrous. Luda! That was fun. Before Betty can go all baby shower bouncer on her though, Alice says that otherwise, other than that, she's happy to be here. So finally we get to the gift opening part of the party. Alice's gift is the haunted nightlight from last, last episode, so that's fun. I mean, I get the symbolism and whatever, but as the baby's grandmother, that is a really shitty gift. Like, throw in a rockin' player, a box of diapers, bare mins, sheesh. Like, I know you think Polly's gonna come home and you're gonna be able to, like, furnish this child's life, but at this point, that's not set in stone, so you might get something other than a nightlight that you bought 15 years ago that, you know, you could, that might actually help raising a baby, because there's so much shit that you need to raise a baby, it's insane. But Alice knows how much the nightlight meant to Polly when she was little, and she wants Polly's baby, or babies, to feel safe from it too. How else will the curse take effect after all? I mean, the haunted nightlight cannot continue to be haunted if it doesn't belong to a child, right? Right? Anyway, that's, that's the story that I'm going to write about the haunted nightlight in Betty and Polly's room. Before Polly can open a gift that makes sense, though, Archie comes crashing in to confront Jughead about his dad being the leader of the Southside Serpents and not telling anybody. Like, bro, read the room. You're in a classy baby shower full of ladies, and you come in acting all cray? Get out of here. And Veronica, she, she agrees with me. She's like, fool, get the fuck out of here. You best check yourself before you wreck yourself. This is Polly's day, GTFO. So she escorts Archie out. And poor Val, like his girlfriend, is just left without any lines, just to stand awkwardly in the background. Oh, that's my boyfriend being a total doob. Oh, so after, um, after the Archie shit show, Polly is able to open more gifts. Penelope and Cheryl present her with an heirloom rocking horse that apparently great-grandpappy Blossom played with. And everyone is able to bite their tongue until Cheryl blurts out that she wants Polly to stay with them at Thornhill. And Penelope chimes in with a tad more refinement and says the offer is genuine. Polly and the baby would never want for anything. Alice is insulted by this offer and flips shit, saying that Polly will never set foot in the Blossom home. And then shit just keeps hitting the fan until Polly stands up and says that she and Jason were supposed to be together, but this pointless feud between the two families is what got him killed. And God, even her outburst is boring. God, I cannot stand her. I'm sure the actress is lovely, but the material that they give her is terrible. It's awful. We come back from commercial and the shower is over. 
can't decide if I feel bad for the guests or good for the guests because for as awkward as it must have been to witness all that drama, at least they didn't have to play shitty baby shower games like guess this baby food flavor or who can name the most baby animals. I'd much rather see a Knott's Landing style cat fight go down than have to deal with that lame shit. Ugh, it's so boring. Just open your presents, see the outfit and diapers I got you, and let me go home. Also, I'm going to take a bunch of sandwiches with me. Just saying. Uh, Betty convinces Alice to speak to Polly so they can get some sort of resolution, but that's not what happens. Polly tells Alice that she had that had she not sent her to the Sisters of Quiet Mercy, Jason might be alive right now. And I'm not real sure how that logic works out, but whatever pregnancy brain, I guess. I mean, one time when I was pregnant, I walked into the kitchen with the intention to turn the dishwasher on, but instead I unloaded it. It was totally full of dirty dishes. And I was like 80% of the way through unloading it when I realized that, oh shit, I came in here to turn this on. And I just put all these dishes back in the cabinets. So I couldn't remember what all I put away because there was a ton, like it was totally packed full. And then I had to go through and just wash every single dish in our kitchen. It was awful. But you know what I didn't do with my pregnancy brain? I did not accuse my mother of being the catalyst for my baby daddy's murder. So big diff. Anyway, Alice apologizes. She never wanted Polly to feel unwanted or unloved. And like, really? What the fuck did you think she was going to feel when you had her literally pulled from her home and carted away? I mean, <laughs> both of these people's arguments make no sense. <laughs> did they just like pull in some bro off the street to write the scene? Did anybody workshop this at all? It's terrible. Polly then tells Alice that before she was sent away, Hal made an appointment to get an abortion to get rid of her quote-unquote mistake, and Alice is aghast. So that's going to hit hit the fan pretty soon. Archie comes home after crashing the baby shower like an idiot, and he has a heart-to-heart -heart with Fred. Archie says that he only wanted to help Fred the same way Fred has always helped him, and a very teary-eyed Luke Perry swoon says that he has spent his whole life building things, building his buildings, <laughs> building his family and his business, but now it's all falling apart. And Archie refuses to let Fred lose his will. And while this line is very sweet, if it had come from an actual 15 year old, I feel like it fell flat for a TV show. Archie says that he's been thinking how cool it would be if he had a kid someday who hated music and wanted to build houses and buildings like grandpa. The building things is Fred's legacy and that makes it Archie's legacy too. I know we're supposed to be all like swoony and melty at this, but I just kind of rolled my eyes and threw up a little in my mouth. I mean, it just, it was a little too, I don't know, sunshine and rainbows. Back at the Pembroke, Betty and Jughead are cleaning up the remains of the baby shower and Jughead explains that the reason why he didn't tell Betty about FP being a full-fledged gang member is because he's ashamed of it. And Betty immediately forgives him, but lets him know that if they're going to be together, she wants to know every detail about him, which is slightly creepy and invasive, but it's 10th grade after all, so it's fine. She thinks it'd be a good idea if they both went to the trailer and visited FP because he might know something about Jason. When they get there, FP admits that Jason came to the White Worm looking to make some money to run away with his girlfriend. They gave him some weed that he was supposed to deliver upstate, but when the delivery never made it, they just assumed he had run away with the money and the drugs until his body showed up at Sweetwater River. And he can tell that Jughead has another question he wants to ask, so just ask it, son. 
Jughead gathers his courage and asks his father if he had anything to do with Jason's death. He hates to ask this because FP is his dad, but it's the Dark Ages now and nothing makes sense anymore. FP admits that he's been a lousy parent, but he insists that he's no killer. I'm no killer, Jug. Now, so now that the vibe is super awkward, Betty and Jughead leave, and outside the trailer, Betty asks Jughead if he believes his dad, and he says he does. And Betty says, and I, be I believe you. So now I swoon. This is, this is when I swoon, because I'm such a schmuck. They kiss, and I smile like an idiot. Um, it's a good thing Betty is making out with her boyfriend in a trailer park, because at home, again, shit hits the fan. <laughs> Alice walks in and confronts Hal about trying to fix Polly's quote-unquote mistake, and Alice says, you did to her exactly what you did to me. No shit, what does that mean? Hal retorts with, yeah, yeah, I made the appointment, and I didn't tell you because I knew you'd overreact. That That's really going to win your argument, man. God. Alice wants to know why sending Polly to the sisters wasn't enough for him, and he says that Polly's life is being ruined by the mistake of, I don't know, banging a blossom. And Alice demands that Polly be allowed to move back into the house, and Hal loses his shit, saying that he will not raise a child with blossom blood. And Alice says her says it's her patented, I swear to God, Hal. And he says, oh, you swear what, Alice? she kicks him out and he tries to plead to the sensibilities of earlier season one Alice and says what will the neighbors think but she doesn't fucking care anymore you messed with her kids and mama bear ain't having it douchebag bye Felicia Jughead comes home from the Andrews house comes home to the Andrews house and he admits that to Archie that he should have trusted him but he was afraid that his dad was like a murderer bro Archie understands where Jughead is coming from and I'm like uh do you though really really mister I'm a musician and that's the only thing that matters to me and Archie also says though that they're practically brothers and will always be there for each other so I think we know that means that they're very soon not gonna be there for each other <laughs> we'll always be best friends that's a sure sign they are not going to always be best friends but now that Betty and Jack had have left the trailer FP can conclude with dun dun da Joaquin so we know that Joaquin is FP's partner in this criminal activity, whatever it is, but FP is stuffing Jason, Jason's letter jacket into a duffel bag and they need to make a plan because the cops are starting to unra unravel some shit. So, but it just, it really hurts my feelings that apparently our sweet gay gang member, our gang member, if you will, <laughs> has only been pretending to be attracted to Kevin so he can keep tabs on what the sheriff has figured out. And Joaquin feels really guilty about it, betraying Kevin's confidence like this. <laughs> but FP just laughs and says that we all have a part to play in this mess. And I don't know, it killed me a little bit. Kevin deserves better than that. And Joaquin deserves better than to be put in that position too. And again, we don't know exactly what FP's role is. So that makes it even more vague as to what Joaquin's role is in this. Anyway, the next morning at the Sodale construction site, Hermione is trying to call around to Greendale, where Sabrina lives, and Centerville, which I think we'll get a glimpse of in season two. I think that's the one we get a glimpse of, um, to find construction crews, but to no avail. But FP has enlisted some of the Southside Serpents, promising that they won't leave Red hanging this time. They can handle any trouble that comes their way because they're badasses. And that satiates Fred enough, so he leaves to get the serpents settled in in their new positions, leaving Fred with Hermione. Or leaving FP with Hermione, I mean. Apparently, 
um, he found out who attacked Moose. Turns out those guys were some hired thugs from Montreal, and we all know who has business in Montreal. Do we though? I mean, <laughs> like, n no. The, the third part of this conversation, the audience has no fucking clue. But apparently Hiram does business in Montreal. So a character that we haven't met yet, and apparently, you know, we're supposed to uh, know about all of his business ongoings. Again, some really poor writing. Could have been better. Um, but supposedly word got back to Hiram about Hermione and Fred making out in the construction trailer. So he sent, a, he sent those guys as a warning to Fred. The real question is, who ratted them out? Could it be Veronica? Could it be Vic, the foreman? Could it be any number of the people who would have seen them making out through an open window? Could be. Um, at the Pembroke, Betty assures Polly that Alice had no idea that Hal had set up the abortion appointment and that Alice kicked Hal out of the house. So you can come home now, Polly, it's safe. But dumb, dumb Polly goes straight into the lion's den and moves into Thornhill with the blossoms. I'm sorry, guys. My eyes are burning. Oh, okay. So now that I've rubbed the crap out of my eyes, I hope I can read my notes. Um, so Polly moves into the Thornhill. And because she's the dumbest person ever. But she has some really great shoes in this scene, so I'm going to let it pass that it makes no fucking sense as to why she's there. And Alice and Betty are left in tears when Polly doesn't come home, and that breaks my heart. For as shitty as Alice can be, when she cries, it tears me up inside. Like, she's such an enigmatic character that I just can't help but love her, even even when the episodes aren't that great. And then we get Zzz, Riverdale. That reminds me, I didn't put in the title card from the beginning. Sorry guys, I forgot. I don't even remember where it was. Have no clue. Okay, so for the most Archie comic moment, I'm going to go with the idea that Archie and his pals would all play construction worker for the day to help his dad. I don't know if they ever did that in the comics, but it feels very canon to Archie's character. For the best blossom burn, even though the blossoms were all represented in this episode, I'm granting the best burn to Alice when she asked Penelope, do you think you can waltz in here with a bed bug infested Trojan horse, wave a blank check and steal my daughter? And like, for as good as a burn that was, apparently she can't, Alice, because uh, Polly is moving into her house, not yours. So, just saying. All right, we'll move on to good, bad, funnies. Uh, for the good, I love the FP scenes in this um, in this episode. You know, he's not like sloppy drunk and a terrible dad, but he's not trying to be morally superior either. He's, he's you know, doing the right thing until he's being shysty and all of it's super interesting. I like it. For the bad, just Polly and, and I feel like we didn't really move the plot along very much. I mean, we know that FP's more involved than he's telling Jughead, but I think we kind of knew that all along. Um, when we saw FP standing outside the uh, burning car in the last episode or the one before, I don't know, um, during the talent show or variety show one. But we didn't, we didn't really get anywhere with it. We just kind of got some like inner character drama and it wasn't, wasn't even that good. Um, for funny, I'm going to say when, when Jughead tells Betty, oh, what? Organizing a baby shower? It's totally on my bucket list. Girl, the inside of your pants are on his bucket list and that's why he's here. But it was still super cute. I love some, I love some season one Jughead. 
Uh, for changes, I'm going to say there has got to be a better way to get someone into Thornhill to investigate besides sending Polly into a place where one episode ago they wanted to steal her baby. It didn't make sense the first time I watched this episode. It doesn't make sense any subsequent time I watch it. Like, I don't get why she's there. I know that they invited her and they told her that she'd want for nothing and the baby would want for nothing, but it's still like it's still a really bad choice like they're still very bad creepy people it's not good we'll move on to theories um well it looks like fp is more involved in jason's disappearance than we first thought and i think we all wonder how that how he got the jacket and what it means that when he says that the jacket is insurance so we're gonna let that ride out and see what that means for Sabrina news. Um, I think we went through all the casting news last week. I haven't seen anything else yet, but also haven't been looking super hard. This week has been bananas. Like, I know that Riverdale hasn't been on, but I've had so much work and so much Etsy work that I, I've had to crank out, and I'm really trying hard to, um, I've been binge watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel, and I'm borrowing somebody else's DVDs to do that, so I'm really trying to, like, like get through them so that you know before my kids like peanut butter handprints get all over them and ruin his DVDs so I I'm just I'm just trying to crank them out and I mean like also because halfway through season two I fell super duper in love with it and I'm like obsessed now but I mean I'm trying to watch like four episodes a night to power through this thing and I just like I have not had time to do the research that I normally put into Sabrina and you know and Riverdale but I mean you know like only two and a half seasons <laughs> left of Buffy to go and only four four and a half three and a half I, th I think four and a half seasons of Angel to go I'm halfway through season one of it and halfway through season four of Buffy and I'm loving it but it is very time consuming to start a you know <laughs> a fan obsession that's that long in the middle of all the other shit I've got going on it might have been a poor choice I probably should have waited until like this summer when Riverdale was on hiatus but I didn't so <laughs> here we are I have like no sleep and uh, no research for this podcast so making great choices here um, for Skeet's dadgram corner so I mentioned um, Cami Mendez's uh, vanity flare party <laughs> picture and Skeet did post he was very sweet he said that she looked very beautiful um, and that was nice but since this was a very FP heavy episode I'm gonna go with a picture that KJ Appa who plays Archie he posted a picture of Skeet this at this past Saturday March 3rd of Skeet when he was in Scream back in 96 97 I, don't know, I feel like it was 96 I think I was 10 when it came out um, but he's he's got his finger in his mouth and he's licking what looks like to be blood off his finger and if it were anyone else in the world it would be so gross but because it's late 90s ski Ulrich all I can say is sploosh anyway Skeet's comment to this picture was quote unquote sticky days 
three exclamation points, end quote. I bet, Ski. I bet. I bet those were some very sticky days. <laughs> All right, pals, I think that's it for today. Um, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review if you want to create a dialogue about any of the episodes that have aired for Riverdale. You can reach me at Cherie B on Twitter, and I'll spell that. It's C-H-E-R-I-E-E-B-E-E, -E -E -E, and that's on Twitter, and Cherie04 on Instagram. That's C-H-E-R-I-E-E-04 -E on Instagram. Or you can just email us at realhousewivesofriverdale at gmail.com. Um, we might do a crossover episode with XOXO Riverdale. They're a really great um, Riverdale podcast. Yes, this this is a podcast where I tell you what other podcasts you should be listening to because they're better than mine. But we kind of talked about it um, on Twitter for a second. I don't know if it'll actually happen, but um, I hope that we can work something out, maybe for like the season finale or something. Um, but anyway, don't hesitate to reach out to me if you think I missed something in my recaps or if you think you curated a better blossom burn or a skeet comment or even an Archie comic moment. Because like I've said before, um, while I read some of the comics in my like elementary school days, I don't remember a ton. So if you see something that you're like, no, that definitely happened. Um, like, you know, Archie definitely recruited all of his friends to help Fred's construction crew. I don't even know what Fred does in the comics. Um, I just, I just remember reading Betty and Veronica and really liking Betty because Veronica was mean and rich and she wore high heels. And that, even though I wasn't a tomboy, I was very girly. I was not a high heels mean girl. I'm kind of a mean girl now because I've stopped giving a shit a long time ago, but, um, but I always looked up to Betty and I don't remember any of the plots of any of the comics. So if you see something and you're like, bitch, you totally missed like this very important storyline from Archie comics volume, whatever, you know, just, you can send it to me and, and I will, um, I'll, say your name on the podcast and tell everybody how much better you are at this job and why you should probably be hosting this podcast instead of me. Um, but anyway, let's talk about it. I hope you'll tune in next week when we discuss chapter nine, La Grande Illusion. Um, I don't know how soon that'll be coming out because I am on vacation this weekend. My husband and I are going to Austin to watch, we're catching the live shows of Pod Save America and Love It or Leave It. I'm super excited about that, but um, I've put my Etsy shop on vacation mode, so I'm not doing any work at all for it this week, in, unless somebody's already ordered. I'm... I will be podcasting um, on Wednesday when the show comes back for uh, season two, episode 14, I think. I don't know, um, the Hills Have Eyes is going to be the, the episode that comes out this week. And um, I think Ashley Johnson will be joining me for the recaps on it. So I will be doing that. But after Thursday, I'm kind of hanging up all my responsibilities my kids going to her grandparents for the weekend. They're super excited about that. And, um, I'm just going to try to have fun and not have to be everything for everybody for like four days. So, but we will do La Grande Illusion probably the next week. Um, I don't know if it'll happen before whatever episode comes after the Hills Have Eyes or not. Um, I'm really not sure, but we'll figure it out and I will talk to you then. Stay golden, pony boy. We'll make the winter springtime and jingle jangle sing time. 
Right on to the summer and the fall 